0: well good morning i must say that i'm particularly happy to be with you this morning the last time i was to preach was in december i um, was preaching on a difficult text to do with christmas it was called rachel weeping and i've been living with the text all week it's you know it's heavy on your shoulders and it's sunday morning and i'm praying that the lord will help me to explain the text to you and that the holy spirit will bless it when the phone rings and it's your pastor on the line and he says, church is canceled, the parking lot is flooded. (laughs) I almost said to him, do you think I could come anyway and just (laughs) stand in the parking lot? And if anybody comes in their car, we could have a drive-in sermon. No. So um, here we are again and I'm now beginning to, you know, get a kind of a Jonah complex. I'm checking the weather report all week, and at 5.30 this morning, I wake up, and it is pouring with rain. My driveway is flooded, and I'm thinking, Lord, you can't do this to me again. So yeah, it's a joy to be here um, this morning. Uh, One other thing, I'm not going to read the text for you, but it's all going to come up on the screen as we work our way through. It's in your bulletin, so I'll refer to the verse and you can look it up. And um, last week I was sitting beside a, a deacon who had the text up on his telephone. I was really impressed and I was waiting for him to start texting in the middle of the sermon, but he didn't. So as long as you don't do that, we'll be good. Dearest Holy Spirit, it is our greatest joy to worship together, to be in fellowship, and to hear your word. Please help us to understand it now, and by the grace of your Holy Spirit, please apply it to our hearts so that we may be strengthened and encouraged and grow confident in your grace to live our lives for you and to serve you well. In Christ's name, amen. When we first took up um, the, the call to the church in Miami, I was on the plane a lot every 10 days or so because our house hadn't sold yet. And I was always looking to speak to the person beside me in case I could share the gospel with them. But since the Lord had gifted me as a pastor, I always found myself sitting beside a Christian who wanted to talk to a pastor. Well, on one occasion, there was a particularly chatty lady And she finally turned to me and said, and why are you headed to Miami? And I said, well, I'm a pastor and I've just taken up a call there in Miami to be the pastor of a church down there. And I'm not kidding, she turned to me, her eyes were this big and she said, do you know what you are doing? And before I could tell her, I don't have a clue, but maybe the Lord does. She just kept on going. She said, it's Sodom and Gomorrah down there, you know. And I said, well, I would like to think it's like Corinth. Uh, And there was a church in Corinth. And now very skeptically, she turns to me again and she says, and what church are you going to pastor in Miami? And when I told her, she turned again and her eyes got this big again. And she said, my husband and I, have been so blessed by a ministry out of that church it's called alive again that was our james club it has turned our lives around i can't believe that's where you headed and i said yep um there was a church in corinth right and you can make a difference so now i have to find a new doctor a urologist and um he was sitting down and he's he's of a different ethnic background which isn't strange of course in miami And he's going through and he's asking all the questions and making notes about his new patient. And he gets down and he said, and what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And lo and behold, the man jumps up. He runs around the desk and he grabs me and he hugs me. It's kind of strange for a pastor. I mean, for a a doctor. And um, he says, my partner in the practice here is Jewish. We just hired a medical assistant. She's a Muslim. And I am busy sharing the love of Christ with them. Can we make a difference? Are we making a difference for Christ? How how can we be confident like that doctor that in the midst of this multicultural city, we we really can make a difference and we really can live our lives for Christ? And so... I thought, well, I want to talk to you about Corinth. Because, you see, Corinth was a a city that that is a a culture just like ours. It's a cosmopolitan city. There are people there from all different parts of the world, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds. And, And not only is it a multicultural city, but it's a relatively new city. I mean, not brand new but they didn't have deeply ingrained traditions in that city. It's like our culture, it's relatively new, uh, as if when you go to Europe you you discover, and it's always turning over. And the result is that in our culture, like Corinth, anything goes, and everything in fact does go on. And how then can we live with confidence in a a city like Corinth, in a culture like Corinth. And in addition, it is reputed that there were 1,000 prostitutes in Corinth attached to to the temple, and the temple was to the goddess of sex, Aphrodite. Modern scholars scoff at that legend a little bit, you know, 1,000, you must be kidding. Well, I don't know, because that problem keeps coming up in the letter, okay, to, to the Corinthians. And you just have to think of our own culture. You're just trying to read the news and you're being bombarded with media, and with sensuality and with sex and with, with all that stuff. How can you live in a culture like this? Much less raise kids, much less um, sustain a marriage where um, we're told that 50% of all marriages are going to, are going to crash. How do we do it? Someone has described Corinth in this way. The ideal of the Corinthian was a reckless development of the individual. The merchant who made his gains by any means. The man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust. The athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his, in his physical strength in a word. The man who recognized no superior and no laws but his own desires. Paul is not naive about living in a culture like this, okay? He was in Corinth planting the church for one and a half years. That's long for Paul, really long. And in the Acts of the Apostles, at one point, we were told he was really discouraged, and the Lord appeared to him, to him in a vision one night, and in effect said, Paul, hang in there. Don't stop speaking. You see, I've got lots of people in this city. Hang in there. Stay in there. So he knew how tough it was. And he was not naive in the sense of, well, you know, it's all going to turn out all right one day. We, you know, just keep a positive attitude. Uh, he... He's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and and at one point he says, as I said to you in a previous letter. He's been dealing with them for a while now, okay? And and then as he starts out, he knows all the things he's going to say in the letter. He knows the problems he's going to have to address. Um, The word pornea comes up in its various forms all over the letter. He's going to have to deal with prostitution. He's going to have to deal with incest in the church, if you can believe that. He's going to have to deal with divisions in the church. He's going to have to say to them, I know you are in Christ, and I know that the Spirit of Christ is in you, but there are ways in which you are living which are not in keeping with that. So he's not naive. He knows everything he's going to address. He understands what he is about to take on. And yet, in the first nine verses, he is unbelievably confident. And if there's one thing I've asked the Holy Spirit to give you this morning at the end of reading what Paul has to say, is that we can have confidence living even in a culture like ours. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. It could be health. It could be wealth or fear of running out of funds in retirement. It could be your job. It could be your marriage, 50% of them end in divorce. It could be your kids. It could be your parents. It could be you're just distraught with the, the Corinthian culture in which we live. But whatever it is, these next nine verses are going to teach us how to live in a Corinthian culture like ours and to live with it in confidence. So it all begins with who has called us, that God has called us. Look at it. It's in verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Can you stop and think about that for a moment? Paul... A Pharisee, self righteous and proud. Paul, a man rising in his city and in his nation like no other, having studied under the great Gamaliel. Paul, now rising politically. Paul, now rising religiously. Paul, a domestic terrorist who we are told in, in, in the text that Paul was ravishing the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and he committed them to, to prison. But, but the text also says Paul called to be an apostle by the will of God. You understand when Paul was on that um, road heading to... He, he wasn't saying... I've gone in search of the Lord. I'm going to try and find him. He was in search of the Lord's children to kill them. And somebody turned up on that road and it was Jesus and tapped him on the shoulder and left him just about deaf and dumb and blind at the end of it. And said, Paul, I'm paraphrasing, what on earth are you doing? What are you thinking, man? You're headed in the wrong direction. I've got plans for you. I, I, I'm going to turn you around. And I'm going to turn you in an apostle. I'm going to turn you into the apostle to the Gentiles. I have plans for you. I have called you, says Paul. I am called by the will of God. We get this calling thing mixed up because... Quite rightly, on Sunday morning, we say, if you're here and you haven't come to Christ, we beg you to consider the state of your condition outside of Jesus Christ. And you might end up thinking, you know, the Lord's out there saying, hey, I'm calling everybody, by the way. Not many turned up, however. And um, please, please, would some of you come follow me? Nonsense. It is of a father calling his child. When a father or a mom says, son, daughter, come here, they may, you know, give you some problems at the start, I understand, but if you're an effective mom or dad, your kid's going to come. And when the Lord calls us, even when we're headed in the wrong direction, I'm sorry to tell you, if you're still going in the opposite direction, you're going to end up coming, okay? Because you're being called by the will of God. And you say, well, that's Paul, the Lord had massive plans for Paul. You you understand he's probably in the top five most influential people in the history of the world. All that he did as an apostle to the Gentiles and how he turned into Europe and where we are today, etc., etc. I get it that Paul had big plans for him, you know, but I'm just Stephen, okay? I'm not gonna be famous like Paul. Well, I love the text because look what the text actually says. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. That's kind of like Stephen. It was a common name. We don't know who Sosthenes is. There is a Sosthenes in the Acts of the Apostles. But scholars tell you we don't know if it's the same guy. It's a common name. And so, what I want you to do this morning is to read this text and say, Paul, call by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother or sister. Put your name in there. Stephen. Sosthenes stands for you and Sosthenes stands for me because guess what? By the will of God, he is calling us to himself. And then he says, in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. And now, we quite rightly take the scriptures and make them very individual and very personal. But we miss the point that he's actually talking to the whole church here, to the church that is in Corinth. And um, the, the corporate, the, the whole is more important than than the individual parts believe it or not and it's not just that the individual parts put together make up the church it's that the church is the church and this is God's will in the world and so he's writing to the church in Corinth and this morning he's writing to the church in St. Pete so to speak as we read this text and we'll talk a little bit more about this but it's very comforting You understand that the people around you are your brothers and sisters this morning. You understand that there's a pretty good chance that if you turn to your brother or sister sitting beside you who you mightn't even know and say, would you please pray for me? Here's what I'm struggling with. That person is going to turn to you and say, I got it. You understand that when I get overwhelmed, I'm technically not a member of the church. Technically, I'm a member of the presbytery as a minister, but you know, I adopted one of the elders here, and so he had no choice but to adopt me. And when I'm overwhelmed, I I go to him. I say, something's weighing on my heart. I can't tell you what it is. Or I'll say, something's weighing on my heart. Would you please pray for me? Here's what it is. My, My son almost got killed at Christmas time, either two or three years ago. There's a deacon in this congregation who to this day comes up to my wife or to me and says, how is your son doing? Is everything working out okay? That's that's where we are this morning in the midst of this awesome family. So that's who has called us by his will. And that's where he has placed us. And now here's why we can be confident. And it, it moves into who we are. And the first thing is that we are sanctified to the church of God that is in Corinth in verse 2, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, I agree the word sanctified has lots of connotations to it. We can talk about the doctrine of sanctification and all that stuff. But at its base, to be sanctified means to be set apart for holy use. Literally, that's the base meaning. It's the way in which I could take this cup and I would say it's sanctified. I, I don't mean that there is something strange about it. It's this cup has been sanctified, meaning that it's set apart for use in communion. And, and this is what he says to us. The first thing you know is that I have sanctified you. I have set you apart for my service, according to my pleasure. To do what I want you to do. And he adds, look at the very end of verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. We have been set apart in Christ Jesus. That's where we live. That's in whom we live. This is where we have been set apart to serve in Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to that because the phrase in Christ Jesus comes up three times in our text. And then having told us that he has set us apart for his service, despite who we know we are, then he says he's called us to be holy to the church of God in Cairns, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. I want you to notice the, the, the way in which Paul deals. He, he first tells us we are sanctified And then he tells us we're called to be holy. Notice the order of it, okay? Um, You are not called to do something um, that, that you have no aptitude for. The Lord's not asking you to be something that you're not. He's asking you to be who you are. If you go to your accountant... And you quite like him, it's tax season. He's good at what he does. He can add figures and all that stuff that we, I could never do. And then you suddenly discover that he's asking you, how are you these days? That's polite. Next thing you realize, the guy really wants to be a doctor. <laughs> you better get out of there. <laughs> because he's trying to do something that he's not gifted in, that he has not been set apart to do that he's not been approved by the state to do he's just got it stuck in his head that he wants to be someone else that he is not when we are called to be holy we're not asking we're not being asked to be something that we're not we're asked to be who we are in christ so you can be confident because he set you apart in christ you can be confident because he's calling you to be holy as he is holy. And then I love this. You can be confident because we are in this together. I know we touched on this just a while ago, but he's bringing it up again. And here it is. To the church of God incarns, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours, in contrast to the individualism of Corinth, in contrast to the isolationism of our culture, you read it everywhere, kids are feeling isolated. We're not feeling connected. In contrast to individualism and isolation, both in our culture, Paul's telling us, (laughs) we're in this together. You see what he says? He says, there's nothing you are going through that everybody else isn't also going through. And I'm not just talking about St. Pete. I'm talking about in the world, among all Christians, everywhere. And I'm not just talking about now. I'm talking about in, in the history of God setting aside his people. There is nothing that you and I are facing this morning that other people in this room aren't facing this morning. And there's nothing that we're facing this morning that's not being faced by Christians in all the parts of the world, and it's nothing we're facing this morning that our parents didn't face, too, if they were Christians. We're not isolated. I mean, I know you think I'm strange. Well, yeah, I'm Knob, but that's part of being human too okay we I, I would have people come up to me in the week and say pastor i need to talk to you i'm sitting there in church and i'm i'm just feeling so out of place i look around and everybody's all so nicely put together and i'm dying on the inside and i always turned to them and said please tell me who was sitting beside you not that I would then say, tell them. But please tell me who is sitting beside you because that person is as messed up as you are. It's part of the human condition. We are called. We have been placed in the midst and among together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he comes right out at the beginning of his letter this should be the benediction but he he comes well the passing of the peace we're used to that here but he comes right out and he says grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ in verse three and then he says you have been given grace i always thank god for you because of his grace given to you in christ jesus If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sins and asked his spirit to come and dwell in you, you're living in a new land, okay? You're living in a land called in Christ Jesus. And that land where you are now living in Christ Jesus, peace has been given to you with the Father. Grace has been given to you. And in this land, the thing that characterizes it is that we have been given grace. And if you're sitting there thinking, hey, I can't live this way. I need help. Yeah, but you have been given grace already. It characterizes in this land in which you live. And if that's not enough that he has set you aside for his work, that he's called you to be who you are, holy as he is holy, that he's placed you in the midst of us all who understand what's going on, and that he's given you grace. If those four things aren't enough to to give you confidence, he gives us one more in verse 5. And in every way you have been enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Oh, well, I don't know who Paul's talking about here, but it's not me. Well, if you want to be disbelieving, shame on you, shame on me. He has enriched you in every way in Christ Jesus. That, that's, just, that's just simply a fact. And if you say, no, that's not me, well, then look at verse 5 even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Paul is saying, despite the things I know we're going to have to deal with in the church and in our lives, I see Christ in you. And if you turn to other people who know you, who know where you're coming from, they will confirm to you, we see God's grace in your life because it has been given to you. And it really is as simple as that. And and then, (laughs) one more thing, not only that that in fact you've been enriched in every way in Christ, in in all speech and in all knowledge, and you say, well, I can't teach, you know? Well, maybe that's not your gift. (laughs) But there are other ways in which we speak to one another and can bless one another And we can say, you know, here's where I've been and here's how I know he has helped me. We're enriched in knowledge and in speech so that we can bless one another. And then he says, one final one, number six. He says, you're not lacking in any gift. Look at it in verse seven. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 7. If you are in Christ, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And if you say, no, I have not, you're kidding yourself, okay? And all you're doing is you're trying to defeat yourself. Let me give you an example. You're a Rockefeller. You're loaded. And you're going to live like Clark Smith and Jones? with apologies to Smith and Jones. You're loaded, man. Live with the confidence of understanding that you're not enriched in every way and been given every gift because you're a Rockefeller. You've been enriched in every way because you're a Rockefeller in Christ Jesus. There's a difference, okay? You, You have been enriched in every way in Christ Jesus. Please stop living like a poor thing. Because all of this has been showered upon us. Not just who called us, but all these things that that he has given to us. And and, I mean, if you don't believe it, there, there are tons more verses. Paul writing to the Romans, I myself am satisfied about you Romans, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I shouldn't add this, hopefully none of them will see it, but I'm on a board of a Haitian mi- mission, and my colleagues on the board are quite convinced that we've got to rescue Haiti. And my answer to them is the Lord has already given all the gifts to the Haitian church. Our job is to strengthen Haitians, not to do the work for them. It's hard for them to grasp this, you know? But but this is the biblical understanding of the church. Uh, Here it comes again in Ephesians, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The way he has gifted you is different from the way he has gifted me, but he has gifted us And then Peter will pick up the theme, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. You either believe this or you don't believe it, and I would strongly recommend that you believe it because it fills our life with confidence. It helps us to live in our Corinthian culture, not because we're self-confident, but we're confident in he who called us and in the one who called us, in the gifts that he has given us. And so we may live with confidence in Christ. And then he ends it just magnificently in what he will do for us. It is in verse eight. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about the gospel, right? He called me. He gave me His grace. He's the one who's going to keep me. He's the one who's made me guiltless before God and given me peace. He's the one who's cleansed me of all my sins. And He is the one, despite the fact that I'm living in a Corinthian culture, despite the fact that I'm still struggling with my addictions, despite the fact that I'm overwhelmed in my office, despite the fact that I'm being overwhelmed by, by my kids, or my parents in this case, um, despite the fact that I'm struggling um, with my wife, I mean my husband, um, those <laughs> those things, that's far for the course. Because he is faithful. And he is the one who is going to keep us all the way through to The end Um, your pastor knows that I love that chorus on he will hold me fast I think he stuck it in there just to encourage me God is faithful by whom we are called in the fellowship of the son of our Lord Jesus Christ he not only is going to keep you but remember you're in the fellowship of his son through the Holy Spirit Paul will explain this later through the Holy Spirit we will be walking this week in the company the fellowship the love and the presence of our lord jesus christ greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome you why because of who called us because of all the ways in which he has blessed us and given us his grace And lastly and ultimately because he is faithful and he will take us through it all the way to the end when Jesus is revealed. Lord, we know who we are and we get so discouraged. But thank you for your work of grace in our lives. Help us to believe your word this morning so that we may be strengthened and we may be comforted in every way we pray to do your will and to be your people right here where you have placed us. In Christ's name, amen.